Wait, so you're telling me bass players don't just play one five and the eight? <laughs> oh, I am telling wow, you. Bassist. I am I am happy to be here talking about other notes. Welcome back to the Pickup Music Pod. We have a very special edition. Right now we're in the studio with Jonathan Coleman, who filmed our bass for guitarist Learning Pathway. John, so great to have you here and congrats on making it through what has been a tiresome week, but hopefully been a bit of fun. Yeah, it's been absolutely fulfilling work and I feel like I know more about my own bass playing and I'm hoping that everyone will on the other side of this. <laughs> yeah, John, so who is this pathway for and what do you want people to walk away from after they take this class? I feel like this pathway is for guitarists who are at home, they're making tracks, they're maybe making demos for their band and they're feeling like something is lacking. Like there's some guitariness that they can't shake from what they're playing. So through going through the pathway, we're hoping that people will emerge on the other side sounding more like an actual bass player. And a couple of those things right off that I think make the difference are your left hand muting control, which also then opens up the door for ghost notes in your right hand, like muted strikes. And marrying those with your existing shape knowledge will already put you more in the direction of being a real bass player. What would you say is like your biggest pet peeve when you watch guitar players trying to play bass? I feel like I can tell right away they're too vertically oriented. So coming from like the A and E string bar shapes and thinking vertically because you have all those string sets, I tend to think very horizontally on bass, especially because you get some nice rotundness out of playing the higher notes way up higher on the E string. And so um, there's something also to be said for the legato access that you have and getting your lines together on one string. So it's really the vertical orientation that gives guitar players away. I mean, it's been really fascinating watching you and and designing the whole course with Sam and, and you. I don't want to say I was bassist, but... <laughs> <laughs> Watch out, you but, might offend some bass players right now. Yeah, yeah. you're bound to offend someone. As, you know, as, as a guitar player, we tend to think of bass players as kind of these, um, you know, mouth-breathing, uh, no, no, I just kidding. No. Hunchbacks no, no. of, of Notre Dame. It's, it's guitar light, right? But oh my God, were we wrong? Or was I wrong in, you know, in having any sort of assumptions about that? Because, you know, even just with the ghost notes alone, that is such a huge part of it. Like there were so many times when you'd be playing along with tracks and I'm like, it sounds like a bass player. Like when you listen to real bass players playing and then to see it like doing done right in front of me and then hear you talk about it, it's like, oh, that's what it is. It's these little details that us guitar players don't think about. Like when we just pick up a bass, you know? Uh, I do now know. <laughs> and I mean, even from the start right away when we started planning stuff, I would show you guys something and then you'd be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's like three days worth of lessons in there and learning how to kind of extrapolate um, these things that I thought were very, you know, taken at face value. You guys showed me how much actually went into some of the things that I do. I think it's going to make me a better teacher and player on the other side of this all. As an example, like playing something with and without ghost notes just really opened my eyes just like you to how important something that I thought was just a fun technique. Like, I don't know if you would give an example. For, even even if you're just here listening to this podcast, I think you could tell really how important it is. I'll, I'll try to weave in a few important things here because um, I think there is value. We talk a lot about this shape called the box, which is a, a movable way to 
find your place on the bass guitar and really works with any style or any chord. So if I have this kind of box line, and I, I like to extend it even below to grab the fifth below, if I play something here without any ghost notes, it sounds like a comedy, like. Right, and even if you're doing your best to nail those rhythms in with the drum track, there's gonna be just this like slipperiness that's missing that the ghost notes bring. So here it is with ghost notes. They just marry the feel and you know, it's not even something that you necessarily hear when there's like a band going with drums and guitars, but what it does for the feel is it's indispensable. So ghost notes aside, you know, the other big takeaway for me was just the whole floating versus non-floating topic, right? We spent a lot of time, the three of us spent a lot of time trying to figure out how to teach this and what to teach, what to leave out. Tell us about your journey with floating versus non-floating and which strings to float on and all that. Sure. Well, you know, I came from what I think a lot of bass players get into without any direction, which is anchoring. So you find your pickup or just something trusty there and you're, you're plucking from there um, up and down the strings. And there's nothing wrong with that. But what you do run into is the potential for this, these moments where you're reaching to your G string and you have this subtle string noise going on. So it was around college, uh, a professor of mine, Jeff Mangone, he showed me how to do the floating thumb. It was the first thing he ever showed me. And at first I was like, this is so boring. I'm already playing, man. And boy, was it worth my while because it helped my tone, it helped my economy of motion, my right hand get, doesn't get tired, I have more dexterity to play crazier stuff. And so the float itself is when I start playing, my first point of contact here is my forearm on the body of the bass. And so then I can float here for a warmer tone. So for those just listening, play us the warmer tone. So that here's, my, here's my neck. Yeah, he's right playing right at the edge of the fretboard. Big, board. broad, bulky, and then down here. Back by the bridge. We've got tight, taut, tiny, <laughs> terrifying. Right, and the thumb is just floating the whole time. Right I'm now. just You're chilling, yeah. String. It's like relaxed, like if I just pulled it up from my hip and was like, hey yo. And then when I move to the A string, the thumb rests on the side of the E. And I still have that same kind of floating access. The thumb is, I'm pulling through into the string below me. And then I have another step to it. When I go to play the D string, the thumb gets nestled in between the E and the A. And I'm pulling through the D into the A. And I don't need to move the thumb again. Because here I've got the E and the A quiet with my thumb. And when I pull through the G, I'm muting the D. So this is really economy of motion. It's keeping my strings quiet. It's very comfortable. And uh, it allows me to freaking rip. How long would it take someone to learn that? Let's say they have like basic bass knowledge. I would say that this is a broad statement. You know, if you give yourself a consistent two weeks on anything, even if it's 15 minutes of focused practice a day, you can see a change in something. And when you're developing something new, especially like if you're a guitar player that's picking up bass or you're already a bass player and you're like, I've got it going on, but you want to learn this. You've got to be kind to yourself. It's not going to happen right away. There's like stages to it. There's like, I'm alone and I'm going over this. Okay, I get it. Now, maybe I'm practicing songs at rehearsal with my band and up, oh, I'm back to old habits. That's going to happen. You've got to be gentle with yourself. And over time, 
this new technique will stick. Totally. I was finding progress on my bass playing just in the little bit of, you know, us doing this together, um, particularly when I'm playing on the D and G strings and trying to move my thumb to the A string for the, and planting it there. Um, I've, I saw an improvement already just in the little bit of time that I did it. It was, it was super intimidating at first, but it did actually come together fairly quickly. I'm not surprised and I'm glad to hear it. And I think that when you start making recordings at home, you're really going to be like, Oh, I can, I don't, I have to do less to this now. I mean, I, I don't say this braggadociously, but I use a lot of pedals, but the one pedal I don't use on bass guitar is a compressor when I'm playing live and stuff. Uh, this is my compressor. It's my right hand. It's the floating hand. Now in my DAW, it's a different situation. And when I'm recording, I leave it up to the engineers. But it's just, I've got the control. And you will too, you <laughs> floating maniacs out there. <laughs> Let's talk about left hand or a fretted hand um, for a second, John. So you brought our awareness to this concept called the box. And from there, we learned how it's, the simple shape can move all across your fretboard. And we discovered the fill zone. So could you walk me through or us through what the box is and, and how to use it? Yeah, the fill, zone. the fill zone. Well, there's lots of fill zones out there and we, we really like this one. So I want to show you more about it. So the box itself is root fifth power chord to start. It's a very familiar shape for guitar players. And then beyond that, we're building it out. We're adding in our flat seven. We're adding in our fourth and we have our second there. And then of course you have all the chromatic space there within. So this you can move around playing any song, any style, any chord. All over the instrument. So then the next level of that is adding this thing we call the fill zone, where you're taking your box position and you're moving everything up a whole step. And we had a series of moves we were teaching everyone. So we're going from our two to our three. We're going from our five to our six. And we're going from our octave to our ninth. And just kind of stepping out of that box, I'll do a little groove, for example. And then if you want to, you can reach into this fill zone. The fill zone. The fill zone. You can grab some licks and you can always move it up the guitar too. It is the same shape. It is the for same those listening. shape. It, yeah, beautiful. You cut and paste, totally malleable. It's one of the wonderful things about these instruments, guitars and basses. <laughs> what about just triads and chromaticism? They seem like they're on the opposite ends of the spectrum, right? Triad is something so rudimentary. Chromaticism is something more advanced, but what I heard from you and you showed us was how you can combine those together. And I think you had examples in funk, you used the triads in, in reggae. Yeah, so uh, I think, you know, triads are a very relatable musical shape. I feel like children are familiar with like, do me, sol me, do, like whether they know it or not, or it's one of the first things we all learn on a piano. And so starting out with that, uh, really understanding your chord tones, your first, your third, and your fifth, and your seventh. Um, Wait, so you're telling me bass players don't just play one five and the eight? Oh, I am telling wow, you. Bases. I am. I am happy to be here talking about other notes. <laughs> but so then, really, it's starting to like understand your major scale, the harmonized major scale, and all that comes in with that. But just thinking about the major scale and then connecting the dots. So if we're in C. Mm -hmm. 
There's a lot of room for chromaticism there. We can connect our two and our three. We can connect our five from all the way from the third. We can connect our five and our six. Uh, that also does well going up to the flat seven and flat seven to the root. So there's a lot to play with. And then let me add a piece here, uh, left-hand muting. Um, I, I said this somewhere along in the pathway, but for a lot of my students will work on crazy things. They wanna come and they wanna learn diminished licks or whole tone licks. And it's very important to have the facility to pull that stuff off. And some of my lines are uh, based on five fret stretches and they get a little bit wild, but really most of the night when I'm playing bass, it's this little finger roll going from a fifth to a root. You know, my root's on my A string, my fifth's below it. And then my left hand is acting like this muting mitt, the rest of the hand. So just feel the tubbiness of that. And you can't even really tell what note I'm playing looking at my hand, it kind of totally obfuscates it. But, and then here it is without the mitt. You can really hear it ringing out. And having access to that control is what uh, makes me an all right bass player. <laughs> right, so, well, that is an example of where, like, you know, you need to understand your role as the bass player. And and it's so it's a mentality thing. And we did talk about this in the pathway as well. We tried to inject that. Um, so it's not just technique and this and that for guitar players to think about, but there's also the relationship between like the drum, the different parts of the drum set um, in certain styles, whether or not, you know, you're, you're, whether or not you're just sitting on the one and five, because a lot of times that is your job, you know? Yeah. And, um, and that's a, that's kind of a, a blatant guitar expose as well. If you're a guitar player and you're playing all over the place when really you shouldn't be. Yeah. I think that, um, I'm unique in a way that I'll solo on every tune given the opportunity, <laughs> but I think, well, cause you're amazing at soloing, but I do appreciate that. Um, but guitar players are often really great soloists, right? So they come to bass with that and it's like easier to rely on that. And it's like the music disappears. So you're right. And, and that's why like using the box is really helpful. And then something I've talked about too, is this kind of inverted box or reverse power chords. So right. instead of Hendrix root, thing to, instead to of root players. fifth mm -hmm. root, it's uh, fifth root fifth. Mm -hmm. So you're like surrounding your tonic or your root with these fifths. And having just those options, roots and fifths all kind of here, uh, give you a lot to play with and can make just playing over a singer songwriter one four thing feel good, but also be fun too. You know, there's there's a certain amount of like there's simplicity to like a, a, a simple bass line in, in a singer songwriter setting, let's say. But there's also so much power that you have as a bass player as well. Like so it's simple yet powerful, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Seems like a really fun role to, to play. Yeah. And the more you do it, the more you're like keenly aware of when something isn't working, which is important. You know, you can always throw paint at the wall and be like, yeah, that sticks. But it's like as you go deeper into this, you'll start to find that, oh, maybe it's better to go higher up on the verses. And I should be playing these notes up here on my D string on the 10th fret, as opposed to my G string on the fifth fret. They sound more full and uh, you, you get little um, habits and pathways for supporting songs that you can rely on. Would you say bass players are more socially and musically aware in a live setting than a guitarist? Um, 
It really depends. Um, I want to expound on that. And I wanted to say that bass players are usually the friendliest guys in bands and they all end up meeting each other and knowing each other. So this is like real fraternity of the low end out there, especially in the circles that I run in where it's like, I know the bass players in all the bands, they know me, we tell each other when we buy new gear and, and it's a really nice community in that regard. And you do have unique responsibility where you're kind of splitting the atom between I'm part of the rhythm and the subdivision and the feel really matter to me. And then I'm also helping really define the harmony and I'm aware of everything that's on top. So somewhere along the lines, I found it really important to be aware of everything that was on top. I wanted to understand jazz harmony. I wanted to understand extensions and all the different colors so that dare say I wanted to flirt with one and jump out of this whole root fifth octave world. I could with confidence. And so, and I do. <laughs> I, I am kind of curious about your, your base journey, you know, like, um, did you go to music school? I did. Yeah. You have an undergrad degree. I have an undergrad from Duquesne university. Jazz Where, performance. Where's that? It's in Pittsburgh. In Pittsburgh. Right. Yeah. And you know, so, so you studied jazz, uh, were you just completely a jazz nerd during that time or did you branch out into rock and other styles? Can I back up? Yeah, sure. Okay. So let's really get into it. My first musical love where I was like, I want to like create in music was rap. And so I rapped, I freestyled, I wrote rhymes, I break danced. I took it very seriously. It was like early internet. I was printing out like picture by picture steps on break dancing moves. And I would carry cardboard around my neighborhood to my friends' houses and we would break dance and I would battle rap and battle dance kids. And like, I thought that was it. So um, somewhere along the way, my dad was like, oh, you should audition for the play at your high school. It was the Wizard of Oz. He's like, you can do the robot. You'll be the Tin Man. I was like, cool. Not the Wiz. Not the Wiz. Okay, okay, just check. The Wizard of Oz. You're going in that direction. Well, so. It was a Catholic high school, uh, Bishop <laughs> okay. Shanahan. So we weren't doing the Wiz. We wouldn't have pulled it off. Yeah. So I go, I do the robot, and they're like, man, this guy can really move. You're the scarecrow. They're like, do you have any experience singing? I was like, no. They're like, all right, you're in choir. So I'm like, oh man, I'm the lead in the musical, and I'm in choir. I haven't even stepped foot in the school yet. I was terrified. Walking to choir the first day, I heard an electric bass coming through the band room and I like ran to the sound and I was like, what is that? And this dude, Perry Genovese was like, oh, it's a bass. I was like, show me how to play something. And wow. Yeah. So that was the first, was that the first thing you learned? Yep. Brain stew. Green day. Obviously not downturned. Um, but I, I, I ran home and I was like, mom and dad, I want to be a bass player. And they wow. were like, what's that? <laughs> <laughs> so then I got into like all of your classic stuff. You know, I was like getting into the chili peppers and um, just really anything I could look up and find tabs um, that was out around then. And then um, somewhere along the way, like, you know, bands like 311 and funkier things were happening. That uh, and I liked heavy music always too, like Tool and Metallica and stuff. Mm. And that all kind of prepared me to accept the band Fish into my heart and mind. Oh, that's right. And that really opened doors for me because they were improvising, they were composing, there was jazz, there was classical elements. And it really just kind of opened my mind to being hungry for all different styles. And mm -hmm. I don't know, it still creatively inspires me to this day, so. That's interesting that you weren't like the, the kind of typical guitar player that has to sort of take on bass because he wasn't quite good enough or something. No, I was more you like the bass player that I was like, how do I make my bass sound like a guitar? Ah, okay. <laughs> and yeah. so I did go to school for it. I did study music. Um, uh, Duquesne University had incredible teachers and um, 
did go in on jazz. When I went to school, I couldn't even read a chart. You put like rhythm changes in front of me. I was like, what is this? And slowly I learned and eventually they were like, oh, you know, if you're playing jazz, you got to play upright. So I picked up the upright and that really helped me kind of get the authentic time feel of jazz down. And, you know, both instruments kind of influenced each other over time, part and parcel. And I've always been playing in bands and uh, kind of have always wanted to do that. And I still am. Well, tell us about your band, Muscle Tough. That's your main project. Right? Yes, my band is Muscle Tough. We're a improvisationally leaning comic book jazz bizarro party funk trio from Philadelphia. It's uh, all instrumental. Uh, the guitarist Ross Bellinwa and I use a lot of pedals and we both use guitar and bass amps and we switch octaves. So I blow in a very authentic to guitar way and he holds it down. He's a producer, so he's got great ears and instincts. He sounds like a bass player, even though he's playing it on a six string through an amp. And then our drummer, Joe, who is also a producer and composer, and he really brings a lot to the drums that are just beyond a guy hitting them. Like he knows what we're up to. He writes probably some of our hardest tunes. So we're all composing and contributing. We're, we're all playing and uh, we do some interpretive covers of like Kylie Minogue and Madonna and Ricky Martin, to name a few things. And it's a fun thing. Uh, people come out and they party at our shows and we've been doing it for about nine years and it keeps getting better. So. And you're on, uh, you're based in Philly, right? And you play along the East Coast mostly if, if people are listening from the area? Yeah, I'm, I'm based in Philly. Um, we do New York, we do Baltimore, we do New England. Uh, we've started to travel south, so keep your ears peeled and get tough with us. John, I mean, it's just been, like truly, it's been an inspiration and it's been a joy to have you here uh, and work with you on this pathway. So thanks a lot, man. Thank you guys. It's uh, It's been quite an experience and I've learned so much and I have so much respect for the work that you guys do here at Pickup. You guys manage a lot and it's very impressive. Thanks, John. See you guys. Later. Later.